Sigal. <laughs> I was trying to think of any other like Mario Kart reference, but I couldn't come up with it's anything. It's a me, um, Mario. See, I thought of that, and then I was like, dude, whoa, your voice literally just sounded like it was in a video game. Welcome to episode 275 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome to another episode of Design Details. We're back. And not in the same room this time. We are separated by miles. By a couple hundred miles, 150-ish milliseconds of ping, and I am on a network delivering a whopping 40 kilobit per second connection. <laughs> okay we we rolled the punches here on the show and uh i think we got a good episode this week but first we have a sponsor back again this week one of my favorite new products uh a team that and company that i'm learning more and more about and they they tweeted at us after last week's ad read saying we did a good job so i feel like there's a lot to live up to but our sponsor this week is DuckDuckGo. DuckDuckGo is a privacy first search engine mobile app browser extension that helps you use the internet without being tracked, without people knowing what you're searching, where you're going, the websites you look at, making the internet a little bit less creepy, which I'm all about. So uh, I think it's been, I guess, two and a half weeks now, maybe three weeks since I downloaded DuckDuckGo. It's my default browser. It, I use the iOS app instead of Safari. I have the the Chrome extension. So I, I've totally bought in and, and it's working great. I love it. I love that I can press this little fire icon on the iOS app and you get this little flame animation as it scrubs your entire history, all your cookies and and past searches and all this stuff. So DuckDuckGo is building tools for privacy and making it better to use the internet. There's a couple cool things about DuckDuckGo, the company that I've been learning about. So the first is that they think of ethical design as simply design. So ethics are baked into the entire company's mission. The, the entire company's objectives are aligning around setting a new standard of trust online and empowering people to take control over their information. Sounds pretty good. Uh, they also operate with a ton of transparency and respect. Uh, the content marketing they put out, the, the blog posts that they write, they're all about how can we help people understand the way that the internet works, the way that they're being tracked, and the way that they can take back control. And it just so happens that they build a product that can help them do that. So I could go on and on about DuckDuckGo, but this great team and product need your help. They are hiring senior product designers to come join them uh, working remotely, which is also a huge perk. Uh, they want you to come help and make the internet a safer place. You'll be designing new products at DuckDuckGo and of course making their existing products that so many people already use uh, that much better. So if you are looking for a job or working for a privacy first company, sounds interesting to you, go to DuckDuckGo.com slash hiring. That's DuckDuckGo.com slash hiring. And of course, if you're not already using it, you should just try it. Just uh, set it as your default search engine for a while. The results are impressive. I actually, I spent a long time trying to figure out how they do this, but they have a way to sync your settings between all of your browsers. So you can customize the entire search engine and then there's this optional way to sync it. And the way that they do it is magic. It's it's voodoo. I don't know how they pull it off. But anyways, it, it makes it really nice to keep all of your settings in sync across your devices without ever having to have an account. So that's DuckDuckGo.com slash hiring and go check out DuckDuckGo the next time you want to search for something on the internet. You might like it. <laughs> Thank you, DuckDuckGo. 
Thanks, DuckDuckGo, and let's get into the show. That rhymed. Okay, so first up, we got some... <laughs> so You're first so up, proud of yourself. I know. So first off, we got some follow-up. And uh, so last week, we talked about the uh, Samsung's One UI, and uh, one of the features that we called out was this seemingly nonsensical ability to undock the keyboard from the bottom of the screen and use it as a floating keyboard, which we were trying to figure out why that would be useful or why anyone would want that. We assumed it was for some accessibility thing that we are just are not familiar with, but a listener by the name of Dominic Kennedy. Hi, Dominic. Hi, Dominic. Uh, wrote into us and gave us a, a possible use for this thing. So we thought I'd call it out, which is potentially if you're in a chat app, you could use the keyboard and place it directly above the input field to block the last few messages that had been sent. So kind of a pseudo privacy way of using the keyboard. I guess that doesn't uh, solve the problem of when the texts go up past the keyboard. You can still read those, but your most recent entries are hidden by the keyboard. I thought that was a good call out, whether intentional or otherwise, by Samsung. But uh, thanks, Dominic. I can see that making sense. Uh, I don't think that was listed on like their reasons for uh, on their marketing page or anything, but seems like it makes sense. Did they have any reasons listed on their marketing page? <laughs> no. Well, oh, this was this was in the video. I think he's just like, yeah, you can undock it, uh, but they didn't really talk about why. So, anyways, this thanks uh, for the the input, Dominic. I think that's a good idea. Cool. So. Another thing, uh, a while ago, if you've if you're a long time listener, you may remember me uh, mentioning the tonal workout training gym thing. The workout training gym thing. That's the official tagline of. Tonal. Yeah, yeah, that's the uh, the the lead on on the web page. But yeah, so I paid them, and then I waited for a while to get this thing installed, and finally, a about a like two three weeks ago, it was installed. So I've been using it for two or three weeks. And Brian, you've had the opportunity to, to check it out a little bit. I'm curious about your thoughts, but it's been great for me. I really love it. It's in my bedroom, so there are no excuses for, you know, like, oh, I don't want to go to the gym. It's too far away. It's raining. Like, no, it's fucking right there. I guess. There's no excuses. There are zero excuses anymore, Marshall. Zero. Yeah, and as such, I've been using it a lot. Um, I have yet to see any increase in my swollness, but... <laughs> <laughs> I, I assume that will come with time. You have to eat a lot too, bud. Yeah, I know. I'm more of a grazer, Brian. I see. Yeah, what do you think? So it was cool. I, you know, I did like a 10 minute session on it. I think it was really, really amazing how whatever they're doing with magnets to adjust the weight and how they fit it in that profile. It, it's this very small device that sits on the wall, but it can let you lift a ton of weight well not a ton i think it's 200 pounds is the limit but yeah that's pretty good like that's a lot not there's not many exercises that people lift more than or the average human lifts more than 200 pounds for right yeah i mean eventually when i get super swole it, I'll, I'll surpass <laughs> it but, but until yeah. then so the technology was impressive i would be really keen to invest more learning about the the progression system and how they generate new workouts for you and how they figure out you know how much you should be lifting each time so I'm curious, you said you haven't seen progression in swollenness, but have you seen progression in, you know, the amount of weight or the reps that they're asking you to do each time? Yeah, um, I haven't seen that either. I, I'm on a, a kind of a program thing. So you you cycle and go through as like leg day and then upper body and then like back and stuff. But so, so it's a kind of a slow progression. Each week I have three workouts 
So I've only done like nine total. So there hasn't been a whole lot of opportunity for the program to recognize that I've progressed at all. I don't, I don't know. But um, I assume that will happen eventually. But uh, one of the things that has been super noticeable that I've really enjoyed is the uh, built-in spotter option. I don't know if I mentioned this before. Yeah, this is like the, the design part of this is like thinking of the experience of lifting weights, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and there's a couple other things that I didn't mention that are kind of in this realm, which is so initially there's a spotter thing. So if you are working out in a normal gym, you kind of want to have another person there. So if you start struggling with weights, they can add their strength and help you complete the rep without dropping weights on your neck or something. <laughs> it's nice to have someone around to save your life. <laughs> yeah. But one of the cool things is with the spotter option, if you pause at the bottom of the rep, like so at the beginning of the rep before you actually push the weight up, if you pause long enough, it will start to slowly decrease the weight. So it interprets your behavior as an intentional, like, uh, I, I don't know if I can do another rep. So it starts taking the weight off. So the next rep isn't as hard. That's super useful. Another thing that, that there are two more items that are kind of in that category, which is one is chains. So this is a thing that I'd never heard of, but I thought it was really cool from kind of like a physical design standpoint, which is when you are lifting normal weights, one thing that the bad boys will do is they'll put chains on the end of each side of the bar or something like that. So not only does it look super cool and hardcore, <laughs> but, but it actually has a, a real use, which is when the, say you're doing like a bicep curl. So when, when your arms are down, extended, low, the chains, most of the weight of the chains are coiled up on the ground and resting, resting on the ground. And as you lift the weight, more chains come off the ground, which increases the weight. It kind of works like um, an elastic kind of thing, right? So the further you pull it, the more weight is on it. So you actually increase the further you get into the rep and decrease as you uh, end the rep, which is a really cool thing. I never would have thought of that, but it's a really smart like dead simple way to do it. And they have a, an analog for this. So the other aspect of this is a thing called eccentric, which is kind of the opposite of chains. So it's got the normal weight as you, again, using the bicep curl example, it's got the normal weight on the way up, but as you lower the weight, it increases. So you're actually like pulling down as you finish the rep. I've always seen whenever you watch like power lifters or whatever, like it's always like, boom, explode. And then you drop the weights and poof, makes a big sound and everybody looks at you and hates you. But the way you're supposed to do it is you're supposed to let the weight down slowly. And that's where most of the gains come from, not from the initial lift, but from the recovery, the second half of the rep. So this actually increases the weight on the way down, which I thought was really interesting. But yeah, that is cool. Yeah, all of these things are built in and you don't really have to think about it. It just does it automatically. And I've been really enjoying it. So if you're in the in the market for a uh, home gym that you and you don't have a whole lot of room in your home, uh, for a gym and all all the equipment necessary for that, I would totally recommend this tonal thing. It's been it's been really good. Yeah, I think someday, someday I, it's something that I could see owning. Uh, so that's it for the tonal follow up. But we have a bit of exciting news, Brian. I'm so excited for this. Uh, can you can you fill us in? Yeah, we have some news. Bryn and myself and Max are now GitHub employees. Yeah, yeah. So that happened. Uh, this will be coming out. Wednesday. So last Thursday was our first day. And then we made the announcement on Friday. And uh, when people are listening to this, we'll be a few days into building stuff at GitHub. So we're 
super, super excited. I think that's the biggest news of, of my week. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine. I don't, know about, I don't know about the biggest news of the design industry, but certainly of my week, <laughs> that yeah. feels like something worth calling out. No, it's definitely something, that, I mean, because you've put a ton of work into Spectrum, and it's nice to see that kind of recognized by a well-established, well-respected company like GitHub. Uh, yeah, yeah, it feels good. And oh my God, we are so anxious on announcement day because we we got on the front page of hacker news which is a notoriously negative place yeah i was gonna say how'd that go <laughs> and it went fine so so for anyone listening who tweeted at us or anything like that we really appreciate it the feedback has just been positive and encouraging and people seem excited so thank you to anyone who was a part of that we really appreciate it it's been fun um, and yeah, I, I guess I can't say too much else because I've only been in the office for a couple hours and just still meeting people and getting ramped up. But hopefully in the future, we'll be able to talk about stuff that we launch at GitHub and hopefully it'll be relevant to people here. Yeah, I think this is a whole whole new aspect of the show that can be incorporated. So I'm excited and congratulations, sir. Yeah. Oh, well, we'll no longer have the... Uh... We had this like big co startup dynamic, you and I. And now we have like big co uh, gaps. Not huge, mid-sized co, but now they're owned. They're owned by Big Co. You'll be doing more of a engineering focus, no? I don't know actually. I think my title's officially designer. Oh, okay. But I I hope to continue doing development work as much as I can, and and learning from the people there that are way smarter and have built things way better than I ever could have dreamed, and learn from that. Seems like a good idea. Yeah. Yeah, that's the best part about working at a large company is you're surrounded by people who are way smarter than you almost all the yes. time. Yes, yes, yes. Cool. Well, that's news. Do you have uh, any news this week, Marshall, or should we get into the meat of the episode? No, let's let's do some meat. So um, this week, we're going to do an Eli 5 thing uh, and explain like I'm 5 thing. Can I cue this up for, for listeners a little bit here? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I guess I want to start by saying a couple episodes ago, we were talking about the new Mac Mini. And Marshall, you said, oh yeah, I have a Mac Mini. It's sitting in my closet. And I laughed when you said that. And I listened back to the episode after we released it. And I was like, why did I laugh? Because the next words out of your mouth were, oh, yeah, I use it as a hub for my smart home setup. No, I don't think that actually made it into the show. I think that got, that part got cut because we went oh. on a little tangent and it got cut for time. So, yeah, basically, I just said, I have a Mac Mini. It's in my it's sitting in my closet. And then it's you sitting in my closet. And I just assumed it was gathering dust. OK, so and then you said, no, it's for the smart home. All right. So that's the first bit of context. The second bit is the fact that you have a Mac Mini as a hub for your smart home should hopefully paint a picture in our listeners eyes of like the depth to which you've gone to build interesting ways of connecting devices to do things for you that would otherwise be annoying to do. So having been to your house, I can say for listeners, uh, Marshall has spent a ton of time. I don't even want to know how many hours you put into this, Marshall, just figuring out creative and interesting ways to combine bits of technology somehow powered by this Mac mini to automate away the little hassles in having a house. Yeah, yeah, that's a good that's a good setup. A little misleading because not everything is done by the Mac Mini, but but I'll, I'll get to okay. that here in a little bit. So I, I guess I'll start with a little bit of background on me. I think I've mentioned this before in a previous episode that I was interviewed on this show before. When I was younger, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I was, I've always been an artist and I knew I wanted to do art, but I wasn't sure how that would kind of manifest itself in my professional career. And I, I went through a phase where I thought I, w I wanted to be an architect. 
And I got kind of deep into architecture or deep enough to realize that like that, that wasn't it. <laughs> that wasn't the thing that, that, that excited me. And now and as an adult, I realized that really what was what excited me was experience design. And that, that can manifest itself in a bunch of, diff bunch of different ways, uh, including app design and all, the, all this other stuff that I actually do for a living now. But yeah, it's kind of interesting that it's kind of come full circle a little bit that now I'm again designing physical real world space experience design with the smart home stuff. And it's very exciting for me. So one of the kind of prerequisites of this is like, I own my home or well, the bank owns my home and I pay them a mortgage, but <laughs> that's a very important clarification. Yeah, yeah, I don't rent. And I, and if you do rent, there are a couple things you could probably do here. Uh, if you're not too scared with a little bit of electrical work, nothing too crazy, but that is like my, my no go. If I see wires in my wall, I'm like, yeah, not touching anything there. I'm done. It's very scary. And uh, this is why you have a few box where you turn the power to the house off so you don't electrocute yourself. But yeah, so one of the prerequisites I would say is uh, you should probably own your own home if you want to start doing this stuff, at least in uh, you know, earnest. And the other is I've spent a decent amount of money on this stuff. Nothing crazy, not in like, you know, dozens of thousands of dollars, but I've, I've spent several thousand dollars on this stuff. But I don't think any of this is super necessary for kind of a, a basic experience that is much better than nothing, right? When it comes to smart home design, there there are a few different ways of input, and I think they are divided by their desirability. So the first most obvious thing is a physical button, and that's probably the least desirable thing is you have to go over to the wall and hit, hit a button. A step up from that would be a digital button, so on your phone or on your watch or something like that. The next step up for that would be voice, where you can just say what you want to have happen. That's usually the the lowest I go on, on this uh, hierarchy. But the best thing is when it just happens automatically and your behavior and your intention is what drives the changes in the house. I mean, that's like the, the goal of all of this, right, is to get to that point where every connected device is driven by that final sort of input mechanism, right? Yeah, where like I just do the thing that I want to do and the house responds accordingly. And in order to get that to happen, you have to have a bunch of different things things uh, working in concert with each other. That includes motion detectors, activity detectors, like doors opening and closing, your location or, you know, your, your presence, the time of day that it is, and, and especially combinations of all these things to, to make it work as nicely as it can. So let's talk a little bit about the hardware of how this actually works. So there are a ton of different options to go with. I, I personally have gone with the SmartThings uh, by Samsung way of, of, of doing a smart home. It's the most kind of open source-ish, even though I don't uh, it is actually open source, I believe. It's very editable. You can write plugins, and if something doesn't exist, there's an entire community of people that are adding stuff. So everything from garage openers to coffee makers and shit like that. So it's very open, and it's relatively cheap. I think the V3 version of the hub is $100, although I would recommend the V2 version of it because it has a battery backup, and I think it's a little bit better, which is strange that the newest version is not as good as the second oldest. But the cool thing about SmartThings is it uses two different, for lack of a better word, I'm going to say protocols or kind of wavelength languages. I'm using the wrong terminology. You would think I would know more about this at this point. But basically the, the two uh, supported protocols are Z-Wave and Zigbee. Oh my God. I'm not sure why they went with the whole Z thing because it sounds cool, I guess, or futuristic. Not really. 
Zigbee is not a really compelling uh, name of a, of a thing. Well, so I, I do more of the, the Z-Wave thing. I don't think I have any Zigbee devices. Everything I use is Z-Wave. And the cool thing about Z-Wave is that it works as a mesh. So every Z-Wave device you have helps extend the network and kind of acts as a repeater on that signal. So um, even if your hub is far from your furthest device, it's okay because there are a chain of devices in between that are passing along any messages that need to be sent or received. So that's the hub, and that that is the heart, that's the brain of this entire thing. It's what drives any input and output. So uh, as far as the little bits that go around the house, there's a, there's a few different categories. The, the first, and I think probably most useful and most common in people's minds when they think of a smart home, are lights, right? And Philips has their Hue line of bulbs. Um, there's also LiFX, I believe, is how it's pronounced. But all of these are, are very expensive. I think a Hue bulb is somewhere in the range of 50 or $60 a piece. Oh, my God. Yeah. Which yeah. is fucking crazy. And if you have a bunch of cans in your house, like a, a can lights, the kind of recessed lighting. Into the ceiling. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Those you can potentially have a dozen in a given room or, or, or a large area and replacing each one of those with a $60 bulb is insane. So I would recommend not necessarily using Hue unless you're replacing, say, um, a lamp light bulb or something like that. Um, that's OK, but but it's just not feasible to do. Uh, at a larger scale. So I think what is a better way to do is instead of replacing the bulbs, you replace the switch on the wall. And uh, the ones that I have are somewhere in the range of like 35 or $40. But because you're replacing the switch, it drives every light in the room. And it can be dimmer or just regular on off. But by controlling the source instead of the the individual bulbs, you Make sure that you're spending less money and uh, it's fewer things to actually have to control. So that's lights. But uh, in addition to that, there's sensors, right? So I, I mentioned earlier, like uh, motion sensors, uh, opening and closing sensors, whether that's a window or a door. There's also acceleration and tilt. You can imagine this for a, a garage door, recognizing when a garage door is opened or closed. There are temperature sensors, so you can see not only what the temperature is uh, in any given part of your house, but also drive things based on that. If you have a thermostat hooked up to your system, uh, you can use light sensors as well. So determining how bright a room is, whether or not the lights should turn on or off. There's water sensors. So if you have a basement that has a, a leaky something or other, you can put a sensor under that potential leak and get a notification if it starts leaking. And lastly, I'm probably leaving some out, but lastly would be presence indication. So that usually that uses your phone because your phone's always on you. But for example, my bed, I have a, a sleep number bed and it can detect when I'm in bed or out of bed. And same thing on the other side with uh, my fiance. So uh, my bed knows when I'm in bed or out of bed and I can do things based on that, that state. Additionally, there are things like outlets and locks and cameras and speakers and smoke detectors and a million other things. But this is kind of where it starts to get fun is when you start to replace your, for lack of a better word, your dumb appliances with smart appliances, you can really get a lot of functionality out of it. Okay, so talk to me about compelling use cases here, because I think I probably am like the average person who's heard of Internet of Things. It sounds like bullshit. It sounds like a way to spend a lot of money to do like trivial things. But I also buy into this idea that like there will be a point in the future where, you know, uh, kind of that that fifth level of input is just my desires and my behaviors drive things to happen around me. 
And I just feel like there, in my mind, there's just this gigantic gap still waiting to be filled, but you've been so much deeper in this world. So I'm wondering what are the compelling experiences right now that make this worth investing time and energy into that, that actually feel like they have a positive impact on your life? And then maybe it'd be worth talking about like where you see things sort of evolving now into the next couple of years, like what people could get excited about if they wanted to start you know, learning. So for me, I think probably lights are the most compelling thing and getting that to work just intuitively without me having to ever hit a light switch. So that was kind of my goal, right? Like, and, and the dream for all of this is to, everything happens automatically. Everything is based on intention and behavior. So for example, walking downstairs to the hall that contains my laundry closet, the stairs are dark and I want to turn on the lights. So uh, on the way down to the laundry room, I go down the steps and on the top step to the side, just under the lip of the step, I have a motion sensor. And that motion sensor is never triggered when you're walking around above the stairs because it's kind of tucked under the lip of the stair. But once you set your first foot down onto the first step, it recognizes that motion and automatically turns on the lights, right? You've got a handful of your laundry and you don't want to like yes. be elbowing your way through the light switches. Got it. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I walk downstairs, I open the double doors to the to the laundry room and have my washer and dryer. And as soon as I open the doors, the light turns on inside that laundry closet. It has a little open close uh, sensor on it, which is basically a two-part sensor that uses a magnet to, to decide or to determine whether or not those two pieces are next to each other. If they're not next to each other, it can do a thing. And if they are next to each other, it can do another thing. So I have it set up that when they're apart, that turns that light on. And when they're together, it turns that light off. So again, I'm not having to hit any light switches. I open the door. Of course, I want the light to come on because I opened the door. The problem is uh, my fiance will sometimes leave those doors open, which means that light stays open. So in order to get past that, I, I have a little plugin that runs that says, if this door has been opened after a certain amount of time, shut the light off. But the problem is if you spend too much time like folding laundry or, or doing something in, in that area, the light will turn off on you, which kind of sucks. And you have to close the doors and open them up or hit the light switch, which kind of defeats the purpose. So what I have done is I, I put a motion detector in there. So now I have this kind of conditional statement that says, if the door opens, turn the light on. If there's no motion, no activity after 10 minutes, turn the light off. If the door closes, turn the light off. But the cool thing is because I have the doors open and even if it's been after 10 minutes, it can see me moving around because of the motion detector. And so it'll, it'll do the right thing, which is if I spend more time in that laundry closet, it'll keep the light on until I close the door, which is really great. Also positioning of the sensors is super important to make sure that you're catching only the motion that you want to catch and not anything outside of that range. So you're not getting any false signals. But my washer and dryer are both Samsung smart washer and dryers. So I'll get notifications as the laundry is going, <laughs> letting me know how, how long the cycle is or when the cycle finishes. So I know to run downstairs, I don't have to listen for the little tune or anything. I can have headphones and be elsewhere in the house and just get a notification on my phone when the cycle ends, which is really nice. So that's kind of a, a good example of, of how this works and, and how these things can work together. 
Any questions, Brian? Okay, so let me read out from this one use case you've described. There are lots of very small interactions in our day-to-day lives in our homes that each one individually seems quite small. Like I think I would hope you'd agree like needing a to a light switch to like go through all this complex work to make sure that a light turns off is nets out both cost and time wise to be way, way more work than just hitting a switch yourself. But if you multiply that times those small interactions times you know all the cases where you might encounter these small interactions over months and years then these investments do change the quality of your life like does that make sense like yeah absolutely it's death by a thousand paper cuts one thing individually seems superfluous right yeah and everything working in harmony seems like a dream so that actually is almost discouraging to me because it, it seems like you have to go all in for really to kick into the benefits. Yeah, if you're just starting out, I would focus on a specific use case, right? Like the laundry thing is a, is a good use case, right? Or a closet. Here, here's a great use case. This is, this is the thing I use every fucking day, which is my clothes closet. It has a little sliding door. And when I open the door, the light turns on. And when I close the door, the light turns off. It, and just any closed room that is like a closet, like just having the light turn on when you open the door and having it turn off when you close the door is like pretty mind-blowing, at least initially. <laughs> uh, and eventually you just fucking forget about it. You just don't think about it anymore, right? There's right. there's no ambiguity. It's a like an ease of mind kind of thing. Is that the phrase, ease of mind? Peace of mind. Peace of mind. It's a peace of mind kind of thing. Yeah, so, uh, and you had asked a question earlier about uh, what I'm excited in the future about this. Yeah, I was going to re-ask that. So you, you have all this stuff w- hooked up. Are there more use cases that you feel like are still maybe blocked by hardware, software that just aren't possible yet, but might be coming up? Honestly, I'm trying to think of things that I could take this further, and I'm kind of in a good position now. I I don't know that I would want to add much more. So one of the things I am thinking about is using Siri shortcuts or or the, the shortcuts app to kind of string together a lot of these things with with a single button press and then tying that to Siri so I can just say something and have a bunch of different things happen, which I could do today, but the ability within smart things to string together conditionals and all this stuff is is a little bit more difficult than you would expect. And Shortcuts has so much programmability, is that a word, that it opens up a whole lot more possibilities. So I haven't really delved into that too deeply yet, part of which I will get into in a little bit. But uh, yeah, that's that's what I'm excited about is like, okay, we have all these sensors, we have all these lights and all these things that, that can do things. Now getting the logic right is that's the exciting part for me is like figuring out that logic and dependencies and everything and, and shortcuts opens that up a lot yeah maybe quickly what's the state of the world right now in terms of managing these things like are you changing out batteries are all these things wired into your home's electrical system is like what is the operational cost of having these things in your home yeah so i do change batteries relatively frequently mostly in my shades so i have i have automated roller shades that can raise and lower on their own uh, in my living room and the bedroom and in the downstairs and those eat up batteries about once a month I have one shade that eats them up like every two weeks, which is really weird. It's like just one shade that goes through batteries super fast. But what I've done is I have, I use all rechargeable batteries and I have a rechargeable battery thing hooked up 
uh, I have it like 3M stickied up under my cabinet in the kitchen. So it's out of sight, out of mind, and, and I can charge stuff in there. It doesn't take up any space. It's just living under a cabinet. So I always have like five sets of eight batteries charging at any given moment. Yeah. So I have like 40 battery, 40 AA batteries charging at any given moment. Jesus. The, the sensors tend to use smaller like watch style circular batteries. Those are pretty cheap. Those only go like once every six months or something like that. So it's, it's pretty low maintenance, but you'll get a notification from the app telling you, hey, so you know when to change them. But yeah, another shortcoming is that there isn't a whole lot of recognition of all of these different types of things. I think the uh, accessories are moving faster than the apps are keeping up. So for example, like my shades are seen as a, as a dimmer switch, which is kind of, you know, like, so zero is closed and a hundred is open. Uh, makes sense a little bit. It maps, but it's suboptimal, right? Especially because the way Apple's home kit handles this stuff is they always turn lights all the way on and then dim them down. So if I try to use HomeKit or Home to to adjust my shades, if they're at like 8%, like basically closed, and I want to close them all the way down to 0%, it will go all the way up to 100% and then down to 0%, which is suboptimal. That sounds like a bug. That sounds really bad. Yeah, I think it's a bug, but I'm not sure how many people have... Uh, used it because actually HomeKit doesn't support shades, so uh, which is why they recognize them as a light. Yeah, so that that's a shortcoming. Uh, I, I use HomeBridge, which is a GitHub repo that somebody wrote. I'll, I'll include links for all the shit in, in the show notes. Uh, the last shortcoming I would say is price. So if you have a larger house and you want to do the whole house and have every closet door, you know, uh, react with the light and everything and every set of stairs and every whatever, like it, it's, it adds up after a while. But like I said, I've, I've probably spent maybe $10,000 total over a course of like two years to assemble all this stuff. So it's kind of expensive, but what I have done is not necessary for the vast majority of people. I've kind of dove a little <laughs> deep. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think that sounds like a lot to a, a person, but this is also like your hobby and side project in many ways. Yeah, exactly. Y you get quite a bit of enjoyment out of this as well. It's like somebody, you know, you wouldn't bat an eye at someone saying they spent $10,000 over two years to, you know, go skiing all around the world or some shit like that. That's how much people spend going to the gym. Like if you go to Barry's twice a week for two years, that's $10,000. I did the math before I bought the tonal thing. <laughs> I worked it out. So yeah. So I mean, $10,000 sounds like a lot in one at one go, but over a course of a couple of years, it's, um, you know, it amortizes nicely. But uh, like I said, it, it's not necessary for everybody. And, and you can get started for like a couple hundred dollars, no problem. So let me go back to the apps that I use. So like I said, I use SmartThings. That's kind of the main app. It, it has all of the functionality that I would want, but it is not deeply integrated into the OS in the same way that Apple's home is, right? It's not in control center. I can't get it to get to it super easily. So like I said, I use this thing called Homebridge, which is r r what runs on my, my Mac Mini. Uh, it's basically just a terminal command. I type Homebridge and it imports all of the uh, devices that I have exported from SmartThings and reinterprets them as HomeKit accessories and uh, puts them into home uh, the Home app so that I can organize them into rooms and put them into the, the widget so that I could have access to my favorites and scenes and all that stuff. But there are also other apps like Stringify, which kind of creates, it has like this kind of matrix setup where you can link 
devices based on uh, you can link actions based on a trigger and it's like this cascading tree of of things you can set up it can get really crazy i've i've used that for my shades so as i mentioned i have those roller shades the weird thing is that eight percent for example is not the same level across all of them they're they're slightly <laughs> off so this is by the way i think where we get the term internet of shit it's like the things exist, but these inconsistencies in the setup and the, the software, like you've figured out all of these quirks, you know? Like Nest is its own thing and it doesn't want to talk to Apple and it doesn't want to talk to smart things and smart things is its own thing and it doesn't want to talk to other stuff. And if you get like a, a schlage, a schlage, or I don't know what the fuck, the, how to pronounce it, but if you get a lock, like that doesn't want to talk to anything and there's a lot of work to get everything to talk to each other in, in a single language or have it all show up in a single app like my arlo cameras or my nest cameras like none of this stuff wants to talk to each other so uh it's been a bit of a a problem to get it all in one unified place but i've I finally gotten there and uh, yeah like I, I yeah i've never heard that term internet of shit but i i believe uh it's accurate oh buddy so i already gave the laundry example but here are a couple other really cool use cases so like i mentioned my my bed has presence sensors so it knows if i'm in bed it also knows if my dog jumps onto my side of the bed and does this, <laughs> you know, which kind of sucks sometimes. So uh, I have it set up that if I get into bed, it turns off all the lights in the house, makes sure all the locks are locked, uh, turns off any fans in any bathrooms. It basically like sets the house into like an off, like night mode, right? Uh, maybe perhaps a sleep mode? Yeah. I said, oh, 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 that's good. Smart. Someone else should have thought of that. Uh, <laughs> namely me um, <laughs> namely, so, namely you the word boy yep. yeah that's a better name i'll have to change it in my in my app <laughs> but i get into bed and i don't have to worry about did i leave a light on and sometimes i have left a light on i'm like fuck it because it pulls the bed every one minute so if i'm in bed within a minute everything will shut off uh, and when i get up in the morning if i get up between certain times it will automatically turn on the light in the bathroom and turn on the bathroom fan because the first thing i do when i get up is take a shower right so like all of those things are taken care of for me. I just get out of bed and I go into the bathroom and everything's ready to go. Another really nice use case is uh, when I get home, the locks unlock when I get into a certain range of the house. Uh, so basically I can just walk into my house without having to get keys out. And, so, and I can leave the house without my keys and know that I can get back as long as I have my phone. And I don't even really need my phone because I can punch codes into uh, little keypads and stuff and, and that will unlock the locks. So that that is reduced. Like one of my biggest fears is getting locked out of my house, which has happened before and it's a fucking nightmare and you have to call a locksmith <laughs> and you're stuck. And if you have to pee, God forbid. God forbid. Getting locked out of your house always sucks. And I'm kind of in a, a, a situation now where like I don't have to ever worry about uh, getting locked out of the house because I can get in without my keys as long as the batteries haven't died, I guess. Another really great use case is, so I have those roller shades. When when it's sunset, the shades lower. And when it's sunrise, the shades raise. It's not something I ever have to think about. And it, and it changes throughout the year, but because the app knows about you know, a current location sunset time for any given day, whenever the sun is about to set, my shades start to lower on their own and it turns on lights at, to a certain level, which is really nice. That's something I never have to think about, but I'm like my privacy, like anytime that the lights are turned on in the house, the shades are closed because uh, people could see in when it's dark outside, etc. Another really great use case is time-based uh, adjustability. So I mentioned that when I start walking downstairs, the lights turn on. Now during the day, 
that that stairwell is kind of dark, so I have the lights go up to 100%. But after a certain time, like after 6 p.m. or after sunset, actually, I have the lights go to a slightly lower level. And after midnight, the lights dim go up to a dimmer level. So if I happen to go downstairs in the middle of the night, I'm not blinding myself with 100% brightness lights, right? Right. That's smart. Yeah. So it knows based on the time what level to set the dimmer at. So I'm not I'm not hurting my eyes. Same thing with the bathroom. If I get up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, it turns on at 20%. So I can see what's going on, but I don't I'm not blinded. Yeah. I also have um, a bunch of echoes around the house. I have uh, Sonos speakers throughout the house, which all works really nicely together. So the Sonos is really cool because they can all play at once. I can set them up as a group. So if I have music going, I can walk around throughout the house and the song follows me around because it's playing on all the speakers. All this stuff is just like tiny quality of life things, but you know, they're individual stones that build a mountain. And I'm on top of that mountain right now. It's really nice. <laughs> Looking down on us peons. Well, that that's cool. I, I am curious how, like you mentioned, picking a single use case seems like a good way to get somebody to, I guess, lay that first pebble in this metaphor. How did, what was your first project that like really sort of cemented in your mind that this was something that felt worth investing in? Yeah, so I, I did have the hue bulbs um, when I rented. Uh, that was like the most reasonable way to do this. And I had those set up with the app and I think I hooked them up to my Echo as well. So I could I could tell the lights what to do. But I knew when I moved that that, that wasn't going to be enough. I knew when we got the new house, it's like, okay, the, the world is the world is my oyster at this point. I can do whatever the hell I want to. I don't have to piss off a landlord if I change anything out. So yeah, so the first thing that I did was I replaced all of the light switches in the house with smart light switches, which function just as normal light switches. They look like normal paddle switches, nothing fancy, and they and, and they work. And if, if the system goes down, like if the hub dies or, you know, for whatever reason, my Wi-Fi cuts out, the lights still work just fine because they're hooked in and never have to replace any batteries because they're set up to the power they like like a regular old light switch so the, the nice thing is that these things all fall back to like at the worst case everything is basically how it would be in a normal dumb house for lack of a better word your worst case scenario is living like me yeah my worst case scenario is, <laughs> is having your life yeah exactly <laughs> yeah but but i think Ugh. that's really important you know if there's a nightmare of like if this thing goes down nothing works oh no everything right, works right. just as fine it's just less good right the thing should have sensible defaults as we like to say which would be functioning as anticipated. Uh, graceful degradation, right? There you go. Progress progressive enhancement. One of the really cool things that I found is this is a great for security. In addition to being able to turn things on and off when a door opens, you can also have it send you a notification. So we share a condo with one other, one other person and they have a separate unit upstairs and so I can get a notification whenever the front door opens or when my front door opens or the common door or the garage door or the side door. Like when any of these doors open that I don't have direct line of sight to, I can get a notification about them and check cameras or get a notification from the camera itself that, that motion has been detected. And like Arlo is really nice about this. So if, if somebody walks past, it will send me a notification with a screenshot of that person walking past and I can see if it's my neighbor or not, right? Or if it's somebody breaking into my house. 
without having to open any doors or, 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 you know, put myself in danger. But to go back to your question, yeah, the first thing I did was all the lights and the sensors necessary to make those work. And slowly I've, I've added, like for, the, for that uh, laundry example, I didn't have the motion detector initially. So the light would constantly shut off while I was trying to fold laundry. Suboptimal. So add, just adding a motion detector in and, and figuring out what that logic should be for when things turn on and turn off has solved everything. So s- slowly I've, I've built this up to kind of a relatively bulletproof system that just works For the most part, I mean, things break, right? It's technology and this is all relatively new. And like I said, nothing wants to talk to itself or talk to each other. So there's been a little bit of of troubleshooting, but I've got it to a point now where that Mac Mini just sits in the closet and that terminal command just runs and I don't have to think about it. Uh, Maybe once every few months uh, it'll cut out or something, but... Um, I even have a script set up so that if it dies, it'll restart itself automatically. Now that's one smart home. Now that <laughs> episode title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, this could be a blog. This could be like a series of tutorials. I mean, I'm I'm sure there are tutorials on how to configure all this. But for someone like me, it's helpful to hear you sort of list the things that you found useful, list the use cases that feel practical to start with, but the actual implementation itself, like fucking setting up a script and like running terminal commands and all this, like, I think you're going to lose most people. So from my point of view, that means there's a lot of progress to be made, right? It's like things will get better and we'll, we'll look back on this as like, you know, you're very much an early adopter of the technology. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I'm actually really disappointed in, in Apple's implementation. I feel like they've really dropped the ball on HomeKit. Like very few things are supported and, and the things that are supported are in a very small number of categories. They could really branch it out and add a lot of functionality to the app. Actually, one of my side projects is redesigning the Home app, which is a, a big undertaking just because like, you know, what would I want, right? Ooh, Marshall, can we expect a medium blog post of your unsolicited redesign of Apple nope. Home? <laughs> never. I will never write an unsolicited medium redesign post. Never. It's mostly for my own edification. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just practicing, right? But I'm sick of hearing myself talk. I imagine you are as well. No, I, I think this is super fascinating. And, you know, having like seen a sliver of this from being at your home, it is really cool. So I will poke around your show notes and see maybe if there's a project that I could get started and, and start learning because I think it is really interesting. I think, you know, what we talked about that it is the series of pebbles that adds up to a mountain. I think getting those first few pebbles laid is kind of a daunting task uh, for someone like me. So yeah, it's like tattoos. <laughs> Once you start, you can't stop. Yeah. And then you want 10 others. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I wonder how many people have actually seen all of the things that are possible and thought about all the different use cases that are possible with this type of technology and the ways that they can talk to each other. Like, And I, I wanted to talk about that because it truly is experience design. And it's something that I'm super passionate about. And that's why this hasn't been an ordeal for me so much. It's kind of fun tinkering as opposed to a right. chore. Right. So and you know yourself, the listener, you know whether or not this is going to be fun for you. So but if it does sound fun for you, I would highly recommend it. it. It is also one of those things that you do that creativity can enhance it to an unknown degree. Like, you know, there's some hobbies where like you do the thing. Uh, I don't know, like fishing, like I guess you can get creative fishing, but maybe there's a limit to where creativity will take you if your hobby is fishing. But in this case, we're talking about the chaining and sequencing and contexts of smart devices and how they interact and operate. And I'd be really keen to see what people come up with as far as, you know, creative integrations or, you know, what you said, like integrating time and time of the the year the season when does that integrate with your calendar and like can it 
pause things when it knows you're on vacation or know that, you know, people have certain birthdays and like do different kinds of things as, as ways to remind you, you know, how can I wean off of Facebook as the global birthday notification system? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just trying to think like there, there's certainly a level of creativity here that feels underdeveloped, but I'm sure you and other people are exploring. You're totally right. It's, this is, I mean, it's basically Lego, right? Like there are a bunch of very simple blocks, but how you put them together is based on your creativity and your imagination. There you go. Yeah. Like Lego for early adopter techie people. Yeah. But it truly is a, a life enhancer. My goal in all of life is to not have to think about the things I don't want to have to think about. And and this helps me get towards that goal. <laughs> that is a, a good goal, I suppose. I don't think I've ever heard you articulate that. <laughs> yeah. Like, I never want to think about some things and, and it's just overhead, right? Like, reducing overhead is, is a high priority for me. Cool. Well, we've talked about lots of cool things, but we can wrap up with a couple more cool things and then call it an episode. What do you think? Sure. Yeah. Do you want to go first? Yes, I will go first because I am so excited about what I'm about to share with you, Marshall. All right. So I discovered this website last year, but it's been around for a few years. It's called adventofcode.com. So it started in 2015. I discovered it last year. And what it is, is every year on December 1st, so at the time of this recording, that is today, uh, at the time of you listening, this is already underway. So December 1st through December 25th, each day is a new programming puzzle. And the puzzles are usually holiday, sort of Christmassy, wintry themed, and they are incredibly challenging. They are language agnostic. And there is an incredible community of people that rally around this Advent of Code event every year that share the most buckwild creative solutions to these problems you could ever imagine people doing with code. So I discovered this last year and I don't know that I did every day. I think some of them are like really, really hard. And after you've spent a couple hours on them, you kind of just think it's not worth it. But it's intellectually stimulating. And then what happens is when you finish, you can go to there's a subreddit, there's like a leaderboard, and you can start comparing your solution in the language that you wrote the solution in to other people. And then, you know, if you're a curious mind, you can poke around other people's solution to the same problem, but they did it in a different language and start to sort of pick up the syntax there. So I, I really can't overemphasize how creative some of these problems are. They're really, really challenging. They will explore all sorts of programming concepts. And because it's sort of a daily advent calendar event, you get one per day. So it sort of builds up throughout the month, which adds this feeling of progression to it. But it also means you don't just get dumped like a million things at once. There's one per day. I guess you can play catch up if you're getting started a little bit late. So yeah, that's my plug is Advent of Code. I don't know that I'll get to the first one today, but I'm going to definitely play around with it this month. And you can actually go back and do previous years. So if you're curious what previous years looked like, it is a fun fun challenge. I really, really enjoyed the time doing it. So since it just launched today, I'm looking forward to doing this year as well. I'm looking at the site. It looks like um, hackertyper.net, uh -huh. but it's really cool. The entire interface is, is basically like a terminal input. The interface is cool. Every day you get a problem, but every person who does this thing gets different inputs to that problem. So everyone's solution will be slightly different, but the way you go about getting to that solution will be the same, right? Like there will be yeah. patterns that you have to implement in order to find the solution, but you can't just copy and paste from somebody else because every user has a different set of inputs. Yeah, that's great. So obviously just a ton of work goes into this. Um, it's really, really impressive. And the site itself is quite creative. So this is cool. I love the idea of puzzles. I'm not too loving of the idea of it all being 
code because I'm not very good <laughs> at writing code. But that's the thing is it's a it's opportunity. Yeah. I mean, it's it looks like it's well designed and, and very cool. Like it, it feels very themed to the type of thing that it is, which is which is code. Good, cool thing, Brian. Thank you. What's mine? How about you, Marshall? <laughs> yeah. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, it's cool. <laughs> All right, Marshall, what's yours? What's your fun this week? <laughs> yeah. So I've debated which would you prefer? Would you prefer a television program or would you prefer an application? I think that application. Okay. So my cool thing this week is Audible. And normally they pay podcasts to, to hawk Audible. Holy shit. I'm going to do it for free. Are we going to talk about Audible without getting paid on a podcast? I know. Maybe it will inspire them to give us money. I don't know. <laughs> but um, I don't know about you, but I go through these kind of waves of listening to music or listening to podcasts or listening to audiobooks. And usually I don't mix it up too much. Like I'll, I'll go through phases. And boy, when I'm when I'm in a audiobook phase, Audible is amazing because uh, they have a huge library and basically any book you can think of unless it's it relies heavily on pictures is is applicable for audible and as a designer i don't think this works as well for engineers but as a designer when i'm doing my job when i'm sitting at my desk um, moving around boxes and text fields i am not accessing the language centers of my brain so i can hear words and not be distracted. If I'm writing an email or if I'm writing code or something like that, I, I can't listen to words because it fucks me up. But when I'm just pushing around shapes and doing spatial relation things, I, I'm fine listening to lyrics of songs that I haven't heard before that doesn't mess me up or listening to podcasts or listening to audiobooks. So I think our industry is uniquely situated to be able to accommodate for listening to words throughout the day without it messing us up. And Audible is like my go-to a third of the time <laughs> when I'm not in, into a podcast or music listening. Sure. Mode. And uh, one of the books I'm, I'm listening to right now is Neuromancer by William Gibson. It's kind of like a um, cyberpunk style book about like hacking in and trodes on your head and like uh, this dark, gritty, rainy city type thing. It's basically an inspiration for Blade Runner and everything that's come since. When I Googled it, one of the suggested results or like suggested books was Snow Crash, which I also like. So if it's anything like that. Snow Crash is my favorite novel of all time. So yeah, yeah, oh, that's, shit. that's in that same, that's in that same vein. Yeah, but I'd never read Neuromancer. And uh, what's actually really interesting about the book is they refer to this in-system world, which they refer to as the Matrix, which is, I have to imagine, a heavy influence for the movie, also called the Matrix. The Matrix. <laughs> oh, that one. You can project yourself into an artificial reality and you have a residual self-image and you have a, you know an avatar that you drive around, kind of like Oasis from uh, Ready Player One, if you've seen that, where it's like, and, and it's actually called The Matrix. Um, but this was written in like the 80s, so couldn't possibly have been biting off of The Matrix. <laughs> the Matrix is biting off of it. Really interesting. But yeah, big fan of Audible. You can download books to your Apple Watch now, so you don't even have to have your phone with you. You can just hook up your AirPods to your Apple Watch and and listen straight on your on your watch. Audible is really great. I, I do the two books a month thing, and they will stack up to six. So you don't have to buy. You don't have to like use your credits every month. You can wait a few months before you use them and do them all at one go or uh, one at a time, however you want. But usually the price of the books are far greater than the price, the amortized price of your subscription. So like you're getting a twenty five dollar new like what would otherwise be relatively expensive 
book for like, uh, I think it works out to like $10 or something like that. So if you read a lot and you are a designer who sits at your desks and, a desk and has uh, headphones on throughout the day, Audible, man. I've never regretted spending money on a book. Yeah. Even if I didn't like the book. If you buy a crappy video game, you're like, I wasted my money on that video game. But if you buy a crappy book, it's like, well, at least I was reading. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or, or being read too. Or being read too in this scenario. Yeah. Yeah. I have a, uh, a running debate with, I think it was with you about whether listening to an audiobook is reading or not. It's a good question. I just read a book on Audible. Like, mm, it's not reading. But I'm like, can a blind person read? Because yeah, yeah, feeling right. it with your fingertips, it's all the same information. It's just going into a different hole, not your eye holes. It's going into your ear holes, right? Yeah. I think the, the definition should rally more around retention rather than like the input mechanism. Yeah. If you can listen to a book and retain it as well as reading it, then that seems like the best thing you could do because then all of a sudden your hands are free and you can do do it whenever, wherever. So that seems like a good good win if you can do it. I cannot do that, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, I mean, the only problem is like if you sometimes you'll phase out or like, you know, uh, zone out for a paragraph or two and it's not as easy to just skip back, you know, just running your eyes back up a page. But Audible is, we were talking about recurring subscription payments last episode and how they can stack up. And Audible is one of the few that I don't regret because I know that it's it's a good use of, of my subscription money. Totally. Cool. Well, we've got a couple good things this week, Marshall. Yeah. That's been fun. Thanks for sharing the smart home setup. Yeah, happy to. And I'm, I'm happy to answer questions if you're thinking of doing your own smart home or getting started. Uh, hit me up on Twitter. I can uh, send you suggestions for uh, hardware. I've even written up a, a doc, a, like a, a Google Doc that kind of lists everything and has Amazon links and explanations for why each piece is necessary. I, I can maybe put that into the show notes. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Good show, Brian. Good show. Let's wrap it up. Thank you again to DuckDuckGo for making this episode possible. If you are interested in working at a company who is trying to bring sanity and trust and transparency and privacy back to the internet, they are hiring senior product designers remotely. They want you to apply. You should go to duckduckgo.com slash hiring and apply. And if you're not even ready for a gig, you should just be using DuckDuckGo in general. So go grab their iPhone or Android app, uh, switch your search engine, grab the browser extensions. All of that and more is at duckduckgo.com. So thank you, DuckDuckGo, for sponsoring the episode. Thanks, DuckDuckGo. If you need more podcasts for your ears at this point in time, uh, go to spec.fm. We've got a bunch of shows all for designers and developers to help you level up. That's at spec.fm. And this show, as well as the shows on spec.fm, are produced by our favorite people, Sarah and Drew, our producers and masters and editors extraordinaire who make this show possible. So thank you, Sarah and Drew, for another episode. Their work, you're listening to it now, and then the rest is at spec.fm. If you are enjoying the show, let us know what you think. We're on Twitter. We really enjoy getting tweets, and we've gotten a few DMs this week that we'll be able to talk about as topics for next week's episode. But we're at Design Details FM on Twitter. Shoot us a DM or just tweet at us. We love that feedback. So thank you to everyone who's already done that and followed along or shared the show. That means so much to us. So yeah, thank you. Thank you, everyone. Just thanks all around. Yeah, just good so, vibes all around. So, you know? so thankful after that Thanksgiving break. Oh, that's right. Mm -hmm. Cool. Well, I think that's it, Marshall. Yeah. Yeah. See you next week. Bye. There it is. There it is. You can't not have it. You can't <laughs> not have it.
So your arms are extended down by your knees, and you you curl your biceps up towards you your chest. You have very very long arms, buddy. If your hands are by your knees. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. Closer to your knees than your shoulders, Brian. You know what I mean, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. right. Your so. your knuckles are grazing the ground as you initiate your bicep curl. <laughs> you got short arms. <laughs> no. 